Hi, you are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is a show where we talk about mobile development. And this show is hosted by Ben Trangrove. Hello. And myself, Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly. And this is episode number 69, and I don't think we have any follow-up. I don't think. No, not that I can remember. Yeah, okay. Uh, we did have uh, we did have a suggested topic though, and um, the other day I was uh, thinking about what we could uh, discuss on the show, and put out a tweet to say, "Hey, if you have any ideas, hit us." And one of the ones, uh, one of the people out on the twitters, named Duncan Babbage, great great surname by the way, he suggested good practices for loosely coupled app architecture. And th- that kind of rang with me a bit because, uh, as you know, uh, we've I've been working pretty hard on a, like a, essentially a rewrite of uh, of GIF wrapped and you know refactoring a whole bunch of stuff. And part of that was actually born out of finding myself at kind of a a wall. I couldn't go any further because I'd found I'd found that all the decisions that I'd made so far had made it so that the bits and pieces that made up made up gift wrapped were too kind of intertwined i guess yep yep and that's not a good thing because you know when you have all that sort of stuff you end up in a situation where like if you want to be able to pull a specific piece of of functionality out and put it into you know an extension or something like that which is kind of where i was at uh, you can't do it because all of a sudden, like this thing requires that thing, and that thing requires these things, and that has a bit of, you know, it also requires that thing over there, and suddenly everything is kind of really complex. And so, part of the reason that I had to kind of go back and rethink everything was because I needed to actually think about how I was architecting my app to make it easy to kind of separate out the bits, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I figured what we could do is we can just have a we can just have a, a chat about kind of the, what I experienced with you know and what my kind of thoughts were with uh, with you know re- rewriting GIF wrapped and rearchitecting GIF wrapped and uh, kind of put some ideas out there for you know what is what's good so far as you know making sure that you're uh, producing good code and kind of loosely coupling things. Yeah, so maybe we should start with why you'd even want that. Like, GIFRAP was working, right? Yeah, GIFRAP was working perfectly fine. So why bother rewrite it? So I guess GIFRAP kind of got to a point where I wanted to do more with it. The main thing that I wanted to do was to pull out certain bits of the functionality and stick them in stick them in extensions. So you could have file picker extensions or, uh, you know, uh, extensions that let you save to the library properly and stuff like that. Even like even going down the road of, and it's not necessarily happening, but, you know, producing a GIF keyboard, uh, which lets you access your library, that sort of stuff. It required that I was able to like pull out certain bits of the app and I couldn't, I couldn't do it because of the way that, Kind of everything depended on everything. Yeah, so it was too tightly coupled. Yeah, and so kind of one of the things, one of the approaches that I took was that I I went back to kind of almost the basics and started thinking about 
kind of thinking about things in like components, I guess, thinking mm-hmm. about things in small parts. So, I mean, if you think about an app, like, I guess a car, not that I know anything about, you know, building cars, but each bit of a car, it's its own little thing, um, you know, that you've got gears that do think the things that gears do, and you've got the pistons, and they're all kind of these self-contained thing, and they do one job, and they do it well. You don't see, uh, you don't see your pistons running around and also trying to be the steering wheel and the wheels. Yeah, and also you've got more than one of some of them, yeah. like your wheels. They're all the same, but you've got four of them. So the way that I was kind of trying to go with this was to think about things in that sort of a, sort of a way. And so part of what I ended up doing was thinking about like the components of the app, thinking about the things that kind of drove the bigger things. Um, so part of that was thinking thinking about things like, my data like how like how is my data managed how is it controlled where does the data come from how do i like and how do i kind of go between the actual model layer and kind of the ui kind of areas and uh, so what i ended up doing was creating a whole bunch of modules little frameworks that do parts of the app yeah i have four modules within the app and each of them serves essentially one section of the app there is a core uh there's a core module that actually acts as the basis for all of them all of the rest of them and then there is one for the library and there's one for photos and there's one for uh search and then those four libraries can then be shared uh individually of each other essentially i've got three that i will access for you know, providing a specific piece of functionality to an, to the app itself, and I can pull those out. And so now, with that kind of an architecture, I can suddenly uh, I can suddenly create an extension that just serves the library and doesn't have all the kind of underlying requirement to you know also have the ability to share photos. Yeah, and so each of these frameworks, except maybe core. So, like, say you wanted to use the search framework, you don't have to include all the other ones, right? Or So you have to include core and search. Yep. And that would be it. That's it. And the way that the core one works is the core is basically handles the basics of the, uh, like going from a model kind of wrapper to the UI and dealing with the basics of that. So mm-hmm. whereas the other ones, they just handle they pretty much just handle like actually dealing with where the data comes from and nothing and nothing else. So your overall app, what type of architecture, I guess, strategy have you chosen? Is it model view controller or do you go for the newfangled? Well, not new, but it seems to be becoming more popular model view view model. See, I'm not even sure that I understand model view view model really. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. (laughs) So then... I only know the basics of it. Um, I have never tried to use it, so I can't say that I really understand it either. But I, I think I understand Model View Controller pretty well. Yeah. So is that is that what you've gone for? I think that's probably what I've gone for. Let me describe it and maybe you'll figure it out. My core kit actually serves pretty much most of the dealing with the data and all that sort of stuff. Like it writes, it has a base class that provides a uh, a data controller mm-hmm. 
and that data controller uh, for each of the uh, for each of the other modules gets over like gets subclassed and turned into something uh, into a spe- very specific one. But yep. the basic one just controls the data. Like it basically provides uh, an interface for accessing the data that's common uh, that can be used by um, the view controller. So the view controller is also within the main view controllers are also within the core kit. And those view controllers use that, uh, basically access the data directly from the data controller. So wait, your view controllers are in your core framework? They are. Because they're shared. Oh, okay. Most of those those tabs actually do exactly the same thing. They do uh, they do very basic, uh, you know, very basic grid view. You tap on a cell and you get a like a preview, um, and that all that sort of stuff predominantly is exactly the same. And so all the stuff that is the same, I've kind of shoved off into the core kit because it's you know it's shared. It's exactly the same across the board. So what's left in your actual app? Not very much. The app itself pretty much just instantiates the view controllers for each of the specific uh, tabs and maybe sets up a few settings and provides the interface for actually uh, changing those. And that's pretty much it. Okay. And of course, because you don't use storyboards or zibs or nibs or any of that. So it's all in code, right? Yep. Um, but if if I was to be using storyboards... Um, they would be, they would be a, probably storyboards on a uh, in, within the app itself, and they would just uh, use classes from um, from the modules. Yeah, that would work. And then the module would just, you know, con- the modules control uh, just the basics where they where they actually need to. Um, so the way that it's kind of designed is so that each module just handles the bits that are really kind of shared. And so, as an example, the library in the latest version of GIFRAPT has an import button uh, up in the top left. And you can tap that and you get a you get an import uh, menu where you can you know, bring stuff in from iCloud or Dropbox or whatever using the document picker extensions. That's not within the core or within the library or anything like that. Like, it's not in those modules. It's actually within the app because that's very specific to the app. If I create a library extension of some sort, you're not going to want to like import on a keyboard or on a document picker or anything like that because you're kind of already doing something else. So all of the actual uh, functionality is kind of split into areas where they kind of make sense. Yeah, I get what you mean. And I mean, it sounds fine. I mean, there's a million ways to... I'm going to say skin a cat. <laughs> just realize that saying's not very nice, is it? Yeah, it's not, especially if you uh especially if you're a cat person. Yeah. I'm sorry. They all work. So. Yeah, I mean there's there are a lot of ways that you can kind of approach it and this is particularly like this is the particular way that I have approached it. It's kind of made things a lot easier to maintain if I want to just work on the library. I have a I have one module that I can just deal with. Uh, and work with or you know i might have to touch the core module if i really need to but as a general rule it's kind of separated out and then like they provide apis they provide uh ways of accessing that data in a kind of a public way not dissimilar to like an open source library that i create i've you know that i've yeah published or anything like that so i think we should get into 
some more just generic reasons why you'd want loose coupling in your code. And then we can kind of go over some, I guess, techniques or practices you can use to avoid coupling. Yep. So the first thing is what makes something tightly coupled. And what it basically is, is if your class requires for it to work another class or another set of classes or something like that, they are tightly coupled. Right. So basically what you're looking at is you've got your nice tree of classes. Mm -hmm. And you only ever want to go down the tree, I like to think of it as. So let's say your view controller is right at the top. Your view controller has to know about the, the types of views it's got, right? Exactly. So like you might have your nice custom views. Let's say you made a fancy GIF display view. <laughs> your view controller is going to have to know that it has a GIF display view in it. There's no way around that. Yep. Well, there probably is some stupid way around it, but there's no point. But the trick is you don't want that GIF display view to know that it's inside whatever type of view controller you've got. Yeah. Sure, it can know it's in a view controller, and even that's not that good, to be honest. But it should never know that it's in GIF collection total view, you know. Yeah, and I think also in a similar way, like it shouldn't know about the views that are around it. Yeah, totally. It doesn't need to know what is next to it or, you know, because there are other things that are managing that. You should only ever have a view know about the things that are inside of it. And I think that's just general for, for classes. Like classes will probably need to know what's, what is inside of them. You know, they, ha they, they kind of mm -hmm. need to know what they're eating. And, uh, you know, the, but the, the, the actual, you know, the stuff that's inside doesn't necessarily need to know what it's inside. It just needs to know the stuff that's inside it. And so you kind of get this downward kind of chain of how, you know, things knowing about each other, but not, and it only goes one way. Yeah. So I think that's the obvious one, that views totally shouldn't know about what view controller they're in and what other views are around them. But there's more, there's more subtle ones. So now you've got the problem of you want your view to actually show something, right? It's kind of useless if it doesn't show anything. Right. So you need to give it some sort of, some sort of data. Um, and that data is probably going to come from your model. There's two things you see really often. So you either see, and it's always with table view cells, you either see in your self-heroid index path method, you go like cell.textlabel.text equals model.text, cell.whatever, and you kind of list out all of the views that are in the view, and then you list out all your model objects, properties, and you link them all up. Yep. So that is loosely coupled, I guess. But the problem is your view controller is going to end up massive, which isn't the best. Yeah. Another one you can do is just passing the model object straight in to the view. Yep. Which I think is better, but there's a big but here. It's now tightly coupled, so your view can only ever show that type of model. Yeah. Another problem is you can now edit that model object in your view. Like, and you might be really good and you might just never do it. You just say, no, I'm not going to do that. But it, the option's there now. Like someone can come along, maybe a different person on your team can come along and go, ah, oh, well, when this view is tapped, or like say it's a, a text box, when the text is changed, I've got the model object right here. I can just update the text. And now you're in a horribly messy world of state changing from every which way. Yeah, like, and I think there's, it is important not to do that sort of stuff. Um, if you're going to be passing, I mean, as an example, GIFRAPT uses one specific type of 
collection view cell because I only have one specific type of collection view cell. Mm-hmm. And that's to show a GIF or a GIF preview, I guess. I do pass the GIF, like the, or rather the item that represents the GIF, into that cell. But the only thing that the cell ever does with that is actually access information about the GIF. Uh, and it's actually not possible for anything outside of the data controller to manage those manage that data because of the way that I've kind of constructed it. Yeah, but so what what happens if someone actually does change a property on one of your model objects? Or are they all read only? They're all read only. That's Oh, see, cool. That's yeah. fine then. So that works too. That's like nicely passing stateless objects to your view. Yeah. I think that's and good. And so the way that like the way that it works is is if you want to make a change to a, to a uh, an item, let's say that you want to rename the GIF, like you said before. In order to do that, you have to talk to the actual data controller to do that, and then it it updates its data source or whatever, and returns you like essentially a new copy of that uh, of that item. Cool. Oh yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah, that's very good. And so that way, you get the kind of benefits that you would normally get from things like structs, where you're not you're also not passing around objects that then change and there are other things relying on those objects and that's kind of all messy so you don't I I try to stay away from that yeah which is a very good thing so another way around that whole passing the model into the view thing is you can make your view rather than take in a model object you can create a new type of object or struct or protocol or however you're going to do it whatever language you're in that just has the information your view needs to know yeah so let's say it's a We'll go with table view cell again, and it has two text fields on it. You mm-hmm. could create, and this is where it's starting to get close to model view, view model. You can create an actual class to pass into your view that just has two properties in it, one for headline text and one for detail uh, text. Right, okay. And then you can have a constructor in there if you want to, to make it easier to make, that takes the model object. And you can even do that if you're in Swift. You can make all these with protocols and then you can make the constructor that takes the model object be a protocol extension rather than actually putting it inside the class. Right. And now now your whole thing is like completely loosely coupled. You could take this view into another project that has a completely different model layer and it would still work, which is awesome. Like this is one of the benefits of loosely coupled code is it becomes super reusable. Yeah. Another benefit is now it's testable. So you don't have to instantiate your entire model layer to test out your views or your view logic. You can just, you know, create one and create a data class with whatever test data you want and pass it in and it will work. So I think one of the things that I do that's very similar to that with GIF wrapped is with the search, uh, the saved search screen, which shows a list of saved searches based on just, I mean, they're just really text. But where it gets really interesting is uh, is the is the kind of special ones. Like as an example, uh, the save search screen now has a uh, a, cl- a clipboard button that lets you paste text from the clipboard into your search field, so you can just do a search, you know, with a button instead of having to tap around the screen and you know multi-tap mm-hmm. or whatever. The thing that controls that button, uh, because it's a table view, and I use my static tables library the thing that controls that is just a row object which talks through like talks to 
I mean, Static Tables takes that and turns it into a into a row, but everything about the clipboard itself is contained within that little tiny object. And so yeah. it it watches the clipboard and it deals with that. But as far as anything else is concerned, it's just a row that just has, you know, text, you know, and, and maybe a detailed text or an icon, things like that. So it only like it only passes out the things that are actually important and everything else is kind of, you know, so it, it, it kind of is like that a little bit, I guess, the view model, but uh maybe not not exactly quite. Yeah. The next question that obviously comes up is, okay, that's all well and good, but now I do actually have to change my model object. Views, you can interact with some of them, and they change. How does the change work? And so imagine your tree again, your nice tree of classes. Basically what you want to do is on the way down, you're cool. You can reference to the next one and the next one. But on the way back up, you never want a strong reference back. One, you're going to get retain cycles, and two, it's just going to end up spaghetti and ugly and very wrapped together. Yep. Um, so what we can do is a very common pattern is use a delegate. Right. So you have a weak delegate back. So your view can have delegate methods to say gif view and then the gif view did change title and then a string for the new the new title. Yep. And then your view controller can implement that method or you can do it with a closure if you want to be all fancy. And then it can take care of passing those changes along to your data layer. Yeah. And it can update. And then if there's other things watching that object, they can get that notification through whatever means you wish. You got KVO or notification center or subscriber model, whatever, however you've done it. Um, so that's the way to do that. Your view should never, ever touch your data layer. Oh, never. Yeah, never. But it's, it's tempting to do it sometimes. Like you've got the change right there. And especially if you've used some sort of singleton data controller, you could just do it and it would work. And... Probably the next time that you did it would work as well. And the time after that and after that. And then at some point, you get to a point where things are now not necessarily clear. There are time, There are going to be times where, you know, suddenly your, your architecture is like strongly kind of coupled together uh, because you've lost kind of an overview because it's become... It can get complex that way. Like, what yeah. you do, what you end up doing is um, by kind of separating this stuff out, is making it simpler because everything is within its own little container. That's right. So what ends up happening is later on you're going to make a change in that data controller, or someone else from your team. It's probably more likely it's going to make a change in that data controller, and of course they have no idea they're about to affect all your views. Yeah. And suddenly the entire app's broken. Like you get these ripple effects. Yeah. So when code is tightly coupled together, when changes happen in one, it's highly likely that changes will need to happen in the other or else it'll be broken. Mm. And you're trying to minimize that, obviously. You don't want to have to change one class, know everywhere it's used, and then go and change it to make sure it still works again. You want to minimize that sort of relationship. And that's why. That's why we want loose coupling. And I think the, the the another thing that you can kind of fall into with uh, trying to like loosely couple things is to start sending notifications around the place. Um, NS notification is kind of a lot of people fall back to that. I think yeah for for like sharing information about things that are happening um, rather than using delegates and stuff like that. And that's not really great either. I think uh, I think in a similar way to how. You know, views should only know the things that are inside themselves. 
NS notifications should only really be passed down the chain. I mean, notifications are notifications, like you're notifying that something has happened, uh, but you shouldn't be using them to send a message to another part of your app that needs to know about and then tying stuff together that way. You really should be just using them, if you are using them at all, you should be using them to do very, as an example, um, I use uh, NS notifications for my analytics stuff. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason is is because because everything's separated and in its own module, uh, I, d- I don't really want to have to build uh, an analytics thing into the into my core kit and just kind of bloat that out even more, um, especially since uh, a lot of it's going to be tied kind of to the app side of things as opposed to into the extensions. So the way that I've kind of done that is that a lot of my classes, uh, as necessary, they post a notification. And then that is collected by the app itself, uh, and so that's kind of going. That is that is going the kind of the right direction, I think, with notifications. Yeah. So notifications. This is an interesting one because we're talking about coupling. Yeah. Notification center is super tempting to use because if you use it, there is zero coupling there. Yeah. The thing that sends the notification has no idea where it's going, and the thing that receives the notification has no idea where it came from, really. I mean, you might in your head, in the compiler in your head, but the actual app program bit, there's no way to access each other. And so you're like, yeah, yeah, I've gone solo coupling. I don't even have coupling. Mm. I'm the best. But there's a problem there. So there's a whole pile of disadvantages that come with NS Notification Center. I'm just getting these off the top of my head, so I might miss some. But the first one is those keys are not compile time checked, unless you've got some fancy thing to do that. But basically... Yep. You have to send out a notification with a key and some data, and that key is just a string. So right. you got to static them off somewhere, or even worse, just type them out twice. Um, the other problem is there's nothing in the compiler that will check you're sending the right data with that notification. So you might change you might change what's sent with that notification, and suddenly there's a whole pile of code that relies on that notification that you have no way to step to without doing some find and workspace sort of thing. There's no like easy command click. Now it's getting different data and there's nothing checking that. You could completely send a different dictionary with different keys and it would compile just fine, hmm. which is awful. Yep. Um, another problem with it is there's no great way to debug those things. So you might be stepping through your code and you get to a line that says post notification with name. You can't step into that. You can't see where that notification's going. You just have to know. So that's going to make it really hard to debug things. When you send the notification, especially this is related to the debugging one, it actually doesn't come up straight away in the other class or whatever's uh, subscribing to that notification. You know, there's a whole run loop in between there. So things could happen in the meantime. I mean, it's unlikely. But there's no guarantee. Like when you run normal code where it goes line by line, there's no guarantee when that notification subscriber is actually going to get that message. It's a minimum of one run loop away, but it could be it could be forever. Yeah. And that, that is also hard to debug. Oh, there's more, but I can't remember them off the top of my head. Just basically, you've got to be careful with them. So you wouldn't build an app that, in order for it to work, really relied on Notification Center, at least in my opinion. No. I think there's better ways to do it. So I think you wouldn't use notifications to tell your views that they need to update, I don't think. That's not, a, that's not ideal. Well, that used to be a pretty common pattern back in the day. So you had your data layer. And you had some background service that was updating it. So basically, when your app launches, you would tell your service, 
update from a server, get the new JSON and update. Uh, and then your view controllers would load up and show whatever was last in the in the database. So you've got some persistence layer. And then when the background service was finished, it would update the data controller and the data controller would then send out a notification with notification center to say, hey, I have new data. And then anyone who was interested in that could go sweet and they could go and grab the new data if they needed it. And I, that's not too bad, to be honest. I'd, I'm yeah. sure there's, there's definitely better ways. So you could do something like an observer pattern instead and then it's way easier to trace so you can use kvo or you can implement your own sort of subscriber thing and i think that's better yeah i think that's i think that's a better solution you can see where it's coming from is the main thing yeah and and so basically the way that like i i kind of restrict myself to using notifications for things where uh, there's not really much other choice (laughs) Honestly, that's yeah. that's essentially what I restrict it to. Uh, so for things like, um, you know, for things like my my analytics, I throw out a notification because otherwise uh, I have to have an analytics class uh, that is shared between everything, or I have mm-hmm. to have an analytics class that is the delegate for like thirty something uh, different uh, things to be able to collect all the information. Yeah. I actually so, like your analytics example, and it's probably because I'm biased and like I always do analytics last and I always feel dirty sort of doing it because I do yeah. a lot of client apps and it's always like, we want four different analytics packages and we yeah. want to track this and that and that. And so it's always just like, ugh, right at the end of the project. Yeah. And so uh, by that point, I've gotten lazy. So <laughs> I, I like I like that example because the other thing is, people can you can ignore those notifications like your code doesn't really care if the analytics is actually working i guess um so if you don't care about whatever event you've tracked you just don't subscribe to the notification and then it's not tracked exactly but everything keeps working so i think that's a good yeah that's a good example of when it is okay and analytics sucks so it's like who cares about them Basically, you you need to use it for things where where that is important. I think that's that's what NFS notification is kind of the best at sending notifications about things that are happening in order to inform other parts of the code, but not fail if it can't like if it can't uh, if it can't do something. Whereas if I had like if I had a delegate, it might have to I'd have to do all think those sorts of things where. You know, I have to check that the delegate is actually set and does it subscribe to the right method and all that sort of stuff. So that yeah. it's not ideal. Yeah, definitely. And I don't use strings either. The, the notifications strings, I, I static all of mine. Yeah, and what I've started doing recently is also putting them in some sort of struct. So you've got, I've got it, kind of stole it from Android. So on Android, all your resources, so your images, your strings, your you can have ones for numbers, dimensions, whatever. They all kind of live in this resources struct. And so you can go r dot strings dot whatever. Yep. So I've kind of started doing that on iOS as well. Like I always did the static const blah string thing. But now instead of just having them global, I sit them in a struct. So you would go, actually, I do use r as well. So I'll go r dot and then I might just use key or something. So keys dot whatever. And then you can get them. And then you can also group them into ones that are relevant just to uh, that class that you're subscribing for notifications from or whatever your key's for. And believe it or not, I do something very similar within my code. 
so gift wrapped has I don't use R because I, I have no need for an R. But yeah, fair I, enough. I, I do I do use one that's very similar to that. It's GW because gift wrapped. Gift wrapped. Um, yeah. Yep. And then that contains uh, the and the thing is I'm doing this in Objective C. So the thing that you're talking about is a struct which I can't really do because structs don't take structs can't take objects that need to be initialized. Um, you do it with uh, you can do it. Uh, I'll we'll put an article in the show notes. But basically, you do an extern. Jeez, this is a long time since I've done this. So this is like a C problem. This is like yeah. C baggage with Objective C, yeah. and you totally can do it. Basically, okay. Well, I'm using a class for mine, so I actually have a. The way that I'm doing it is not perfect, but it does the job for the moment. Uh, I have a class, and my top level class is called just GW, and then that that class has a bunch of uh, static methods. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. This yep. is good. Um, this is another way to do it. I like this too. Those static methods uh, basically instantiate their own objects, which are also kind of, I have also created. So as an example, uh, I have one called GW Image Defines. It's a very exciting yep. name. Uh, so this is, a, this is a class that gets instantiated. It's essentially a singleton, but I don't have all the singleton kind of baggage because that's all taken care of within the GW class. But it creates essentially an, a copy of every, all of its own properties. So I can do then do GW dot image dot and then whatever the you know type of image that I want. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And so that I do I do exactly the same thing. Although technically I probably shouldn't be using the dot dot syntax there, even though it does work. Yeah, this is an old debate. Not getting into but, that one. Uh, and I mean, they, they, <laughs> they do, they, like we've talked about problems that can come up from that, um, like not being able to do, use the refactor tool. But I mean, it, it feels it feels cleaner when I'm dealing with that sort of stuff to just use the dot, dot syntax. And, I, you know, so I, so I do. And they are essentially properties. Just you can't really do that on uh, Objective-C classes, which is sad. Hmm. So I do the same thing, and so that way, like, and that way, all of my kind of images, uh, which you know, which ha- are based on you know, image named with a string, things like colors and stuff like that, they're all kind of. I'm not dealing with with names or uh, s- things that can kind of get detached in ways that are hard to track. I'm using kind of a core way of of managing those things. Nice. Yeah, I like it. Hmm. So I guess that's pretty much it. At least that's all I can think of. Um, there's so much more on coupling, and you get better with it over time. Yeah, I think I think, and it's a, it's all about it's all about thinking. Like I think, at, like we, I was talking about at the beginning, it's all about thinking about your code as kind of small pockets of things that only do one thing and they do it well. You know, they, uh, I, you, if you if you're thinking about things like that, you're much less likely to end up with things that are strongly coupled together. You're much less likely to have code that like relies heavily on other code, and that's just simply because if you're if you're thinking about it carefully and and you know and, and considering uh, and, and considering things in like their own small pocket, you, you'll you'll end up with bits of like little portions of code that just act together. And they don't necessarily like they they only really kind of deal with each other, and they don't necessarily know about anything outside of the, outside of that little group of classes or whatever. Yeah. And if you think about things like that, it becomes a lot easier to manage 
It becomes a lot easier to debug stuff. It becomes a lot easier to like work on it in a team um, because all of a sudden, like somebody can touch that and they don't like they're not you know messing up anything else somewhere else in the app, ideally. So that I, I think that's where it kind of comes down to is you you got to think about like think about this stuff. You got to you got to actually make these decisions and be ca- and and actually be careful about that. Like you know don't let yourself kind of slip and fall because really at the end of the day like it's you're only doing yourself a favor even though you're having to do a little bit of extra work to make this sort of stuff happen yeah and um just a closing note there's the like best book on programming ever is the pragmatic programmer and it has heaps of tips for this sort of stuff uh, amongst other things um yeah i think it's reckon well it's required reading for anyone who programs for a career or even at home. It'll make you better too. I When I read it, I think it was like I leveled up 10 levels in a day just from reading the tips. So there's like, I can't remember how many chapters now. It was ages ago. But basically, there's a chapter that has a sort of technique mm-hmm. for each one. And there's a whole yep. pile of techniques you can include. And a lot of them deal with this sort of loosely coupled stuff. So I'll chuck a link to that in the show notes. Everyone should read it. It's the best. Speaking of show notes, you can find them on our website. Our website is mobilecouch.co. And then you just go to the episode, which is 69. Woo. Yeah. Yep. You can also send us an email from there. Go to mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. And there's a form. You fill it out. Bing, bang, boom. Goes to our email. We read it. You can also send us an email the old school way, you know, with actual email. That's hello at mobilecouch.co. And uh, if you want to, you can contact us individually and... Ben is on Twitter. That's Ben Trangrove, B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E. And I am Jelly Bean Soup. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you to our patrons who support the show um, because they, you know, they they actually pay for uh, you guys to be able to hear this. Um, they pay for the server and all that sort of stuff, which is really great. So we, you know, we're, we're really appreciative of them. And uh, if you would like to become a patron, you can jump on to, uh, you can jump on our website as well, and you can find ways to actually go and uh, help support the show. But I mean, just thank you for listening. We we love to have you listening. We love to hear from you. And it's it's you know it it makes our day to be able to get an email and actually uh, you know hear about how we've helped you, you know, become a better programmer. We look forward to talking to you again in two more weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Bye.